This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to FNI Rap Chat. Uh, I'm your host for today, Mark Monks, along with me, Paul Lennox, who will be conducting some interviews alongside with me. The two of us and Ray were at uh, Ackle Island Film Festival last weekend. It was amazing. It was a great experience. Uh, it was an honour to be there, to be honest. Um, we were really excited to bring a camper van over to the west of Ireland as well, thanks to ramblingrovers.ie, who are really supportive, and we really do appreciate it. Another special thanks to um, Mescan Brewing, who provided some lovely beer across the four-day festival. It was actually lovely. It was really, it was really, really nice. It was an amazing experience to be there, and uh, it was great crack. But uh, in this episode, me and Paul sat down with a number of filmmakers, uh, including the co-directors of A Guide to Becoming an Elm Tree, Adam Mann and Skyman, alongside them, their lead actor, James Healy. The film follows Podrick, a lonely man, seeking to uh, find help with a carpenter to build a coffin for his wife. Um, and it was a really nice kind of like hearing Paul kind of chat with them about the film and their own career and that kind of stuff. Paul also got chatting to director Tom Callahan and uh, photographer Frankie Quinn on their latest uh, documentary short, Good Fences. Good Fences follows a photographer Frankie Quinn on his 25 year journey of documenting the peace walls of uh, Belfast. It was a really fascinating documentary and it was kind of really interesting listening to Paul kind of like have a chat with Frankie and Tom and their own kind of process and their own kind of knowledge of the uh, peace walls. And now you're probably wondering why I'm still chatting and not Paul. Well, I'm glad you asked. Um, I got to do a few filmmakers, including director Sam Howard and cinematographer Stanley Blundell on their short doc, Ireland's Last Matchmaker. Ireland's Last Matchmaker follows a very eccentric character called Willie Daly, whose occupation is matchmaking. <laughs> if the listeners at home are wondering what is a matchmaker, well, basically he his job is to find people their, their right partner, essentially trying to find them love, help them find love. Um, it's a very funny and kind of very wholesome short and highly recommend it. It was a great crack chat to the director of the DP about the film. And finally, last but not least, I sat down with director, writer, actor and intimate coordinator Sinead Cassidy-Holt. It was a very fascinating conversation where we were chatting about intimate coordination and how that works on set, how it not only helps actors but also crew, uh, crew as well, like help them into their mindset, kind of uh, making sure everyone's okay especially if they're filming kind of um kind of harsh or like uh, kind of rough scenes and um, it was a really cool conversation now after that very very long intro please enjoy the episode if you'd like to support us head on over to buy me a coffee and you can buy us a coffee it really does help us and it'd be much appreciated Everybody, and you're very welcome back to a very camper van ridden, smelly fart machine episode of FNI Rap Chat here at the Ackle Island International Film Festival. Uh, it's been emotional, uh, this whole experience. 
Uh, more so because the weather's just been unbelievable. So as as I'm like, everybody when um, people land here, Americans and stuff, and the sun is shining, they like they get notions about moving here, but then they realise very very quickly that it's like that four days in the year. So we're really delighted to be here on two or three of those days where it's unbelievable. The facilities are really fantastic, thanks to Gilties, um, our own sponsors, Rambling Rover. Ie for all your camper van needs, your set needs, um, or, or you just want to take her. A little ramble down to the country. Uh, ram visit uh, ramblingrover.ie and uh, Paul and Neve will look after you. They're incredible supporters of, of this trip and of FNI in general. Uh, also, uh, massive thanks to uh, all of our Buy Me A Coffee members. So if you want to support FNI Rap Chat, you can visit buymeacoffee.com forward slash FNI. Um, so today uh, we have... Three lovely people that hung around to be on the show for a couple of hours, so we really appreciate that. Uh, we're joined by uh, um, Adam Mann, uh, director, co-director uh, with uh, Sky Mann. Hiya. Hiya. <laughs> and James Healy, an actor uh, uh, from the film A Guide to Becoming an Elm Tree. <sighs> Just take a break after all that. How are you getting on? Grand, yeah. Thanks very much for having us. I appreciate it. No, it's great to have you. Um, it's, uh, we love kind of uh, showcasing... Um, you know, new work, but particularly new creatives on their on their on their kind of way up. You know, so tell us a little bit about yeah the journey of, um the journey of uh the film, the inception of the of the project, how he's come together, how he came to work, that kind of thing. Yeah, um, so me and Sky live in uh, Vancouver, Canada, kind of oh. most of the time, uh, and in twenty nineteen, we had to come back to Ireland because our visa had run out, and we were waiting on permanent residency. Um, the plan was to stay for just a couple of months, yeah. and then go back but then COVID happened so we ended up having to stay in Ireland for about a year and in that year Sky wrote a book called A Guide to Becoming an Elm Tree <laughs> uh, and at the same time after she had written the book we were thinking like we want to start making you know a feature film we've done a couple of shorts and stuff but like if you want to get going <laughs> and kind of make this into something you want to do permanently you kind of have to make features right for, yeah. uh, for people to yeah see. there's only so much traction you can make with shorts isn't it yeah exactly yeah exactly um but then sky said well let's adapt this and so we adapted it we wrote it to be filmed cheaply so that we could produce it ourselves so that mm -hmm. we could fund it ourselves right what you know kind of thing yeah three, exactly three or four locations yeah you don't want to start like exterior spaceship or something you know, and you've got nothing <laughs> no, no, yeah, absolutely i'm a, a yeah. huge advocate of you know it's all about story and keeping things simple yeah. If you have a good story, you have a good film. A lot of people lose sight of that and make bigger budgets, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Keep, keep yeah. it simple, in, you know what I mean, from a narrative perspective. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about, uh, Sky, tell us about the story because it's your, I suppose, the, the originator or the author of the of the piece in general. Um, It's kind of a weird one. Um, when I was talking about our film after it was screened, I was like, it's really just two lads in a tree. And that sounds a bit mad. Well, the um, best play ever written is two guys under a tree waiting for Godot. So, true. simple true, yeah. story. Yeah, <laughs> Um, it's basically about a carpenter and he's a bit up and eccentric and okay. he's really into Celtic mythology and obviously cultural preservation is a huge motivator in our films. Okay. So he basically comes into contact with Parik, played by the lovely James. The wonderful James Healy, yeah. available for work. How's it going? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Who is kind of shying away from his grief and he decides to build a coffin from scratch for his dead wife. And as the as he moves through his grief, he kind of learns more about Irish folklore and mythology, and the lines between reality and fiction blur, and that's kind of where the story goes. But actually, in the edit, it turned out a lot darker than we thought it would be. 
Yeah, the job is quite well, You know, different mediums, right? Yeah, that's yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think we did like um, originally the the character of John the Carpenter was kind of like a guiding, like a good guiding light for James's character Porrick as he learns to like they literally like take a tree down and mill it and then make it. He wants to do the whole process, uh, and the idea is like that's part of how he is dealing with his grief for losing his wife. Um, yeah, and in the, in the script, he's very much a guiding light. But as we were editing the film and we were looking at it, and, and we thought, well, uh, Jerry Wade, who plays John, he has he's such a he's such a like stern face that we thought maybe he might be a bit sinister in this, and it might be more interesting if that he was maybe maybe behind the bad things that started to happen within the film. Sure. And just to kind of add an extra layer to it, and that's kind of how it ended up turning out. Really Which well. shift the tone as well, a little bit as well, I'd imagine. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. then our sound designer, our, our good friend Carlos, who lives in Vancouver as well, he did all the music for, it and he really took that and ran with it, and he adds lots of whispers and a, and a lot of like kind of creepy undertones and some brilliant music as well. We composed yeah. all. It was wonderful working with Carlos. Uh, we met him in the film industry as PAs, right. and he's a very talented musician and. The industry over there is quite difficult, whereas like 18 hour days, 16 hour camera days, and he was feeling a bit burned out. And as he was reaching that point, we actually were getting to make our film. And I was like, Carlos, why don't you give sound designing and composing a shot? Yeah. You can play instruments, you know music, mm -hmm. try it out. And he just took to it like like a fish in water. Yeah. Like he, learning curve was zero. There's a lot of like retraining is so important, you know, because a lot of actors in particular, I know, because I'm an actor and I have lots of mates who are actors, they feel stuck, you know, and they think that the spark that they have or that creative energy is only applicable to one discipline, which it's not. You know, that's why so many good actors go on to become great directors, because number one, they work where they've worked. They know what it's like. They've worn that, that, that hat, so they know what to do. Um, some, something very similar, a friend of mine as well, something similar, he's a musician and went into composition, he loves it, new lease of life. Yeah. Um, how did you get involved, James? Are you just his best mate and it's favouritism? <laughs> Do you know? A <laughs> little bit of both. I wrote um, it. I wrote it for him. Yeah. <laughs> no, we uh, when we when we originally met in Vancouver, we ended up working for like a solid year, nonstop, barely any sleep, uh, on the TV show over there that we were working on, okay. and they kind of suggested working on a short film at first and then they sent me on the script then for the feature and I had a read of it and I was like this sounds phenomenal like I have to like yeah I'd definitely love to have a read for it um, and then so next you, thing you I knew badgered him until he gave you yeah basically yeah didn't give him a choice really <laughs> just felt sorry for him you were like oh here come on then you can be in it fair enough there's only two roles you can have one of them I suppose yeah I suppose yeah, yeah. yeah. that's all. only after showing up at his door about 20 times with nothing but flowers and chocolates for him you know yeah. what I mean do you want to hang out gave in. no not really yeah. I don't know but like do you know what next thing I knew we were filming it um, yeah. and like this this would be my first feature and I was kind of not going to lie I was breaking it a little bit because I was like what if I rock up and all the lines that I've learned just leave <laughs> yeah that's it happens anxiety you know have you blanked at an audition before you know, no that's, that's, that that's the thing Um, it's like I'd only been in one in-person audition and that was actually after we had shot the film right. because obviously the pandemic and stuff like that happened so everything became recorded 
and you'd send in your audition tapes yeah, yeah. rather than bit doing it in person. Yeah, do you prefer that? I do. I kind of like to get the first one out of the way and, and do it at home because then I can kind of get a feel for the scene, for the character and for like whether it's a TV show, commercial or movie. The anxiety of like, oh, oh God, the casting directors are judging you or whatever. It's just yeah. about the work and you get it in. Yeah, exactly. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, Adam, about kind of how you came to be a filmmaker and Oh God! Uh, it all started when I was born. No, uh, I just when I Steven was, Spielberg yeah, touched me from on high. Yeah, exactly. He pulled me from the ether. He, he put uh, a star into life. in 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 bonfire ash. Yeah, he lit. Yeah, literally, he just wrote a trichlor on the ground and I spawned in. Now uh, <laughs> it's honestly like it's kind of humble beginnings because when I was filling out the um, what's the name of the thing you fill out when you go to college? CEO. Yeah, that. I was filling that out and I was like, CEO. Oh, really? CEO. 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 Yeah. Yeah. I was filling that out and I was like, I've no idea what I want to do. And my dad was like, what do you love doing? You love movies. You stay up late all the time watch films. I was like, yeah, I do. He was like, well, put that down then. <laughs> I was like, that's a great idea. So I did. And it's the only one I put down on the on the whole thing and I got into it in DBS in town there. Uh, oh, lovely. And studied film there and then I had a couple of lectures that really so opened my eyes. Claire, Claire Dix. I did, yeah, yeah, yeah. She was one of my lectures. She was brilliant. Yeah, Claire's brilliant. Um, She's a great feature coming out of Barry Ward. And, does she, yeah? And Liam Kearney, yeah. yeah. Oh, I'll check them. Keep an eye out for that. Um, yeah. My husband as well, it. Kenny, he was also in my lecture. He's a, he's, I think he does a lot of post stuff. He's a, mostly an editor and he was brilliant as well. Yeah. And all these people just were kind of lit a fire in me. Um, and then I met Sky, who went to Valley Fairma College, and we just kind of Valley Fairmont, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I just said on the continent. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so. I've just always loved film, but that really just lit the fire under me. And then we went to Canada to try and get work and learn kind of the ropes of how a big industry works. And then, yeah, I don't know, we're just two of us are just obsessed with films. We go see as many films as we can, watch anything and everything. Uh, and yeah, we're just constantly writing stuff. Now we've like got our own camera and stuff. We just go shoot anything and everything, like making a documentary now this year as well. I love it. Yeah. Um, and then we just decided, like, we want to make this feature, like, let's go make your book into a feature like we can do it and, and it's yeah. all there and you don't have to worry about getting rights off anybody and all of that yeah exactly stuff, yeah. You know? or falling out with the writer and it was very doable you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it was very doable that. yeah um, um, so yeah we shot it in we shot it in nine days here we originally had ten yeah here in, in between Dublin and Meath we shot it in yeah it was supposed to be ten lost a day because of Storm Barrett uh, so we did it in nine days we had the other main character Jerry Wade he came in on a day's notice to fill this whole role for a feature and it's quite wordy at times wow, okay. uh, yeah and he was just brilliant like he was I don't know how he managed it he's absolutely fantastic uh, and MJ as well MJ Sullivan has yeah, a little role in class act is MJ yeah, yeah brilliant um, and yeah we shot it um, basically on just the one lens yeah, nine days, like six Same crew. camera over there. Like, yeah, literally, like, yeah, yeah. I think it's handy though when you have, like, you don't have a lot of options. If you don't have a lot of money, you're just like, well, we have 50 mil, make it work. You know? If you, like, the less problems you have, the more time you have to overthink, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Tell us about your journey into all this. Um, so I met Adam in DBS. I was actually going to study English and film in um, GIT, I think it was, or UCD. Um, but I was five points short, so I ended up in DBS. And I met Adam, and I kind of had to pretend that I knew all the films. Would you swap that five points for? <laughs> I did. I doubt Maybe. it. Uh, you just pointed at me as well. You say my name. Yeah, it could have been either of you. <laughs> Let's leave that ambig ambiguous. Yeah, sorry, pardon me. Go. But about halfway through the year, um, I realised the grants doesn't cover private colleges. <sighs> And I was very devastated, but I knew I wanted to do film. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up in Valley Firma College, which was the best education I could have ever got. We uh, learned to shoot on film, which I'm still 
using our skills today. Good old bowl exercise. That's it. That's it. And we just picked a place. We knew we didn't want to go to LA. Okay. Because it's hot. Um, and then uh -huh. we just said Vancouver, Canada. Let's give it a shot. And as soon as I graduated college, we flew over, and I actually got my degree in the letterbox outside of the Airbnb we were staying. Really? In. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, we had to get our permanent residency up for two years so we could stay longer. And as soon as I got into the industry there, I was like, these trucks and there's loads of people walking. I can get all my Irish friends into the industry. Mm -hmm. um, and I knew the space for everybody and I wanted to help. So I actually posted on Film Network Ireland. I posted a blog. Yeah. And I was like, here's everything you need to know, lads. Here's how much you make. Here's what you have to do to get on set. Uh, all meet up with anybody and everybody just shoot me a message and I met up with the first group of people that we got onto Batwoman or Sabrina uh, Sabrina was the first one we worked yeah. on yeah um, Sabrina so do you know Stephen Murphy yeah, he's an old housemate of mine. Yeah, really? Yeah, yeah. We set up uh, Kino D together. That's right. No yeah, way. I yeah. Kino. I was, we were in his apartment in Toronto in September last year. We're going again this for TIFF. We're going yeah, this year. Yeah. He lives in Toronto now. Yeah, he's yeah. a good pal of mine and a great writer. He's written a like, oh, massive, like a, an opus screenplay that's about 400 pages long. It's incredible. It's like wow. The, yeah, I, I won't give it away because Stephen will be listening to this. But uh, <laughs> yeah. The Morph is, a, is one of the best. Absolutely. Yeah, brilliant writer. Yeah. Phenomenal. I adore yeah. reading the scripts. Yeah, he's he's incredibly talented, and he was back then, and he continues to be now. Yeah. Um. So, yourself, uh, James and Adam, how did you use me? FNI, wasn't it? You, yeah. You yeah, that's what. Um, Sky put up a post, and that's what I'm based in Bray, and okay. uh, the wonderful Brian Matthews Murphy. He actually, I was talking to him about it because I was going to no Wi-Fi. Yeah, no Wi-Fi. Exactly. Shout out, was, no, was, shout out to no Wi-Fi. Yeah, Ray. big shout out, no Wi-Fi. Um. No, that's what I was chatting to him about. It. I was like, yeah, moving to Vancouver in a bit and uh, I want to get into the film industry over there. And then, then he seen Sky's post and he tagged me underneath the post and I reached out to Sky. I was like, look, I'm moving to Vancouver soon. Um, What's the, what's the deal? And she was just like, oh, do you know what? Let me know when you're over here. So I was like, all right, Grant, uh, probably not going to hear from her, but <laughs> do you know <laughs> what I mean? That's that out the window. Yeah. <laughs> so I, was like, I moved over anyway, got settled in, then dropped her another message. I was like, oh yeah, I'm over here now. Uh, do you want to meet up for a coffee and, and kind of discuss what the industry is like over here? And she's like, yeah, no problem. I'll do you a big plan. We'll go through everything. I'll explain how the industry works. Um, we've been here the last while. I'll explain to you what we what we missed out on when we first came over here. Like the clothes, what to bring to set and everything like that. So then met up with her in, I think it was November. We met up in November. Um, we had a coffee. We had a chat and stuff like that. And then after that, kind of didn't hear from each other then for another little bit i went back to working in the cinema and an irish pub uh just literally struggling to pay rent over mm -hmm. there and then um the pilot about woman came around and adam gives me a call he was like hey are you free for three days so i literally just told the people in the pub i was like look i'm after getting a call three days on batwoman i was like i'm taking it i'm sorry i can't do those three days and they're like actually yeah that's no problem and they were cool about it they were cool about it because i told them when i when i first got the job i was like look film is my priority over here there may be a time when i need a film <laughs> <laughs> that day may never come you don't call yeah. well, you don't come for coffee wearing a tux in the cinema was a bit much but yeah, yeah. act like a man there's actually a vip part in the cinema as well where you have to bring food and drinks to people's tables oh, like and not their seats exactly like uh, that yeah, yeah. Um, um incredible yeah and then i done that and then i met the, the two of them and 
since then we've just literally been best mates keeping in contact constantly yeah even with the time difference just show, goes to show how important community is you know Absolutely. i don't mean 100%. irish sticking to themselves i mean people helping other people you Absolutely. know exactly yeah. um, and that's one thing we've learned it's quite uh, humbling not what we do but just to see people helping each other out there's a knock-on pay forward effect which is lovely, which is the real gratifying thing. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, 100%. What have you got up your sleeves? What's next? Uh, so we're actually, we're making a documentary about this year uh, okay. because this is our first feature. Yeah. And we're trying to turn uh, a first feature into like a career. We want to like be directors basically from here on out. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, many people have, have tried this before us. Um, many have succeeded. And the, the thing that we face is um, it's very difficult to get a straight answer from anybody who is an established working director on how they got there. Um, there's, it seems to be... I don't think there is a... There's no kind of light switch thing. Yeah, there no. isn't, there's no like chartered path. No. So we're making a documentary and uh, Sky's largely filming me as we go through like Ackham, a couple of the festivals and like networking events and stuff like that. And just to try and kind of lift the veil on it, or at least show how we did it, you know, if we do it, um, and just kind of film that and turn it into like a, and also it's it's a like an introspective kind of uh, exploration of what it means to be creative and how exactly why it clicks yeah. for some people and not others yeah. maybe yeah, and then mixing in living in Canada and stuff and and being how that can be difficult Canada. yeah yeah also being creative and being a millennial I feel like our generation has been through the mill. Mm-hmm. From like the Incas saying the world was going to end in 2012, yeah, to first hearing about climate change, we've just yeah. been through so many events. And then um, COVID came along, yeah, thanks very right? much, God. Y2K as well, <laughs> 99, and yeah, they turned on the Hadron Collider in Belgium and supposed to make a new black hole. Do you see, you don't even remember that one, that's how many no, we've been through. 40. <laughs> <laughs> I like, yeah, I've been through it all fucking the 80s, you haven't been through the 80s, <laughs> cognitive, uh, like uh, cognitive, I can't even say cognitively. Um, uh, I, I will ask you just about the actual film itself in terms of the process of it. Um, obviously, it's, it was new to you all, and you're building these, you know, your your strategies and ways of working. But what was the most uh, difficult obstacle you had to overcome, apart from COVID? Ooh. Or it can be COVID, but we just men- mentioned COVID, and people are sick of COVID. Yeah, it's the obvious answer, isn't it? But... I think we were trained just being on set 18 hours a day, listening to like television ADs, running a set that we knew how to shoot it efficiently. Yes. Um, so I would say the most difficult thing was actually trying to communicate properly with our actors. It's it's a part of filmmaking that I kind of overlook. I'm quite visual. Right. And I'm like, how do I say I need this? I need you to get to this place without directly giving that, you know, instructions because that can put actors off. Yeah. So th- for me personally, that was definitely the, the hardest part of that. Yeah, I'd agree. Just... It's funny, isn't it? Because uh, it's like the number one job of a director That's is to it. try and elicit emotion from an actor. Yeah. And it was just something that had completely just slipped our minds, basically. And it, we were like, right, we need James to be like sad so you, here. You didn't have to Stanley Kubrick? And, no, uh, I, no, I, no, I don't like that. Tell he's horrible. And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, can't, I can't do that anyway. <laughs> the last five seconds later, you know what I mean? <laughs> it just wouldn't work. But it's, it's strange, even, uh, you know, in terms of my own limited experience, you know, some of the better directors I've worked with are just really kind and ask you a lot of questions. Yeah. What would you do there? Yeah. You know, they, they throw yeah. the ball back to you. Yeah. you know, do you know what I mean? Absolutely. And that's kind of what we settled on eventually was to be like this is how you're kind of feeling the situation or be more like 
imagine this was happening to you. Like, how would you feel if this happened or if that happened yeah. or, you know, doing little tricks and like, like there's a scene where uh, James is like rifling through a load of books to try and find an answer to something. I told him that I had hid something in one of the books and I wanted him to find it. But I didn't put anything in the books. You treated him like a dog. There's yeah, a, there's, literally, yeah. There's a tree, there's a tree in there, in there somewhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, yeah. And you do um, as well. You love it. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's what, uh, looking back at it there now after, like after going through all of that because we did it a few times as well and it wasn't really looking right and then he had that conversation with me and he, yeah. had, like, yeah, he explained to me what was going on and then looking back at it, it turned out like, Perfect. Whatever gets them there, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. without doing psychological manipulation, I suppose. But that's it as yeah. well. It's like when when people as well, when people hear that there's going to be two directors on a film, sometimes they're like, "Whoa, how does that work?" Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But being in front of the camera with the two of them working behind it, the way they can kind of like communicate with each other, yeah. so there's no stepping on toes at all. So, so obviously, is, you just have a lovely shorthand where it's just kind yeah. of like mm, mm, phenomenal. Yeah. yeah, like honestly, like the like Adam would approach me and be like, "Right, so for this scene, this is what we're gonna do, and this is how it works, and and this is how you're feeling." Um, and then he like kind of go through with me slowly. Yeah. Then he'll just disappear, and then Skull come out of nowhere <laughs> uh, for a different scene. And then she'd be like, "Right, so for this scene, this is what's going on," and explaining it to me. Do you know what I mean? Like it wouldn't be like Adam will come over finish saying something and contradict each other yeah, yeah there's yeah. no contradiction at all it worked really well there was no confusion and honestly they they were amazing for the whole thing great co-directing what's that like uh, it's, it was our first time co-directing anything as well I mean like I've made charts and Sky's made charts and we yeah. helped them out or whatever but this was like now we're gonna go right down the middle on everything from the edit to like producing and writing and everything Um, we actually made a pact about 10 years ago <laughs> basically now that when it came to creative stuff, whatever it was, there's no filter. Yeah, so yeah. if I, you know, if I write something and often I do, so I'll be like, listen, that's terrible. And these are the reasons why it's terrible. And like, I know it sounds harsh, but it just produces the best possible work that you yeah, can. Yeah. Like if, it, you know, there's no point in trying to not hurt each other's feelings. Like just get to it and that's how we do it. But uh, I think we work really well because um, in terms of like actually building a scene, like I'm, I'm quite good at being able to like build out a scene and block it and like these are the camera angles that we need to get so both these have qualities that that, yeah. that go hand in hand in order to get the results that you want yeah Sky's quality is she has that this unteachable ability to find incredible cinematic moments on the flip of a switch wow. uh, just phenomenal yeah no genuine it's yeah, going no. out to the general public yeah I knew she had that as well and yeah see James is saying it's true like and I, I would be like right I'm going to get through the scene and get what we need as fast as possible so Sky has time to then find the real magic yeah. and she did like, like instinctually yeah because yeah, yeah. like there's a point in it where i'm talking to a tree like <laughs> do you know yeah. what i mean and it's like i'm literally having a conversation with the tree and then sky just looked at him and was like don't like it that's it we're not doing it we're not doing it and then just walk moved on to the next you scene. need to start the character right to be but, able to go it's not working let's change it up but then she comes back like two days later and was like i have it and just like and just set it up completely different and it worked it's one of my favorite scenes in it, actually, in the whole film. Yeah, because when we first set it up, I was like, "What do you think it is?" She said, "Get that, get move that camera. That's terrible." <laughs> and then just redid it, and phenomenal, brilliant. I think it plays to our strengths as well, just as like a partnership. I'll I'm endlessly like I can pull creative ideas I never like draw up. Yeah. But it'd be hard for me to see the first draft of a feature done, where I'll take the inspiration and Adam will get the first draft, and then I take it back. And then on set, Adam will know how to make a film that can be complete in, in the edit. Mm -hmm. But I can make it look 
visual and I, I know instinctively when like something's not working even if it's needed you know well, it's important to know that you know it's, it's just when to know to throw it out if it's not working yeah. you know that's the hardest thing is to kill your babies right yeah yeah and that's ideas or anything else you know and it's great that you have like a very clear kind of uh, compatibility to work not everybody has that you know so it's great to see um where can people watch this film in the future uh, well, currently, Come to, what festivals is it in next? Uh, at the moment, there's we've kind of a big gap. We're kind of waiting to hear on it on a couple of different ones. But at the end, at the end of the year, basically, there's about twenty festivals that we're waiting to hear back. But they don't tell us until like the end of summer, like right. August and stuff like that. Um, but we we did get some. Where did we get? We recently. I think it was an online one in Toronto. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, I hate to say, but I'm really interested in the festivals we don't get into because yeah. I can record um, that resilience and the failure of actually being mm. creative, um, which is terrible to say. No, but you're dead right. It's that, you know, Bukowski thing. You know, what matters most is how you walk through the fire. It's not it. it's not about there are like to you. I, I can't believe I'm, gonna, I'm about to quote Conor McGregor, but it's it's a you know when when or learn you know it is yeah it is true yeah. and bounce back ability is a huge thing and it, which we ask everybody the same question that comes on the podcast to wrap up how do you deal with rejection not well no uh, <laughs> you just I just, just heard a window smashing and I'm running yeah. to see yeah exactly yeah <laughs> don't even look at my phone no uh, I think. The only guaranteed part of, of success is failure. It's the only thing. It's the only way that you know for sure that you're on the right path to success is if you're failing consistently. And, you know, failing quicker, failing more often means that you are progressing and you are learning faster, you know, and at a better rate than, than you would be if you weren't trying at all. So, yeah, I think you just, it hurts. Like, you just, it's never not going to hurt. But you just understand that this hurt, this pain, is part of the process that's going to make you what you need to be in the future and you need to have these experiences um and uh, and you just kind of remind yourself that and you say right the next one and then the next one and then the next one and you just keep going you know there's no point dwelling on stuff that's gone past either you, know, you put yourself through it several times over then yeah cool. And like, yeah, no, that's why I just like to stare dramatically out a window with a cup of tea. Uh, no. <laughs> I just ring me mad. Yeah. No, <laughs> do you know what? When, when, when I've been rejected after an audition or something like that, um, or they decide to go a different route, I, I, I sit there in the moment and experience how I'm feeling. So then... So you allow when, yourself that? Like, yeah, yeah, I allow myself that. Because in, in order to really enjoy the success of of something like especially something like this yeah of course um to enjoy something like that you have to have been at a low point at some point yeah. do you know what i mean so enjoy the rejection which is a funny thing to say enjoy the rejection so then you can enjoy the success even more um and i do as as they said as well it, it really does build character as well you can you can gain the experience and then you can share that experience with others and stuff like you that share it in camper vans in the you know in the west of ireland exactly <laughs> where else would you share it exactly uh sky i'm a little bit more philosophical with this um mm -hmm. i like to look at my life as like from beginning to end as a giant story mm -hmm. and as a person and a spirit i know that in failure is what makes my character and it's what like really attaches me to the human experience and um, i've definitely felt more in rejection and failure than i have in any success that i've had mm -hmm. as well it stays with you as well doesn't it, it stays with you and come on up up mayo <laughs> uh, yeah, i think it's very much part of it but as creatives we are like man malleable and you know we're roadable 
mm-hmm. as well. Like it, it definitely, it takes a lot of resilience, but that's where it all is, I think. Yeah, it's about the journey. Fail again, fail better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Literally, yeah. Okay, guys, thanks so much. Uh, the film is a guide to becoming an elm tree. Watch out for it at festivals and keep an eye out for the man's. <laughs> oh, God. And, oh, no. and, and James Ely. Yeah. Thank you, thank you. Usually attached to a hip. Sometimes we swing in between us when we walk, you know, like a King child. Chair. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do Superman. Um, okay, thanks for you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Safe so home. Bye bye. Hey everybody, welcome back uh, to this special episode of the Ackle Island International Film Festival. Uh, you're very welcome to FNI Rap Chat. Um, my name is Paul Butler Lennox. Um, I love documentaries, and I don't kind of trust a film, any film or fiction filmmaker who doesn't love documentaries, because oftentimes they're not they're not based in the real world. Mm. Um, we're joined today by uh, a director and what would I call you, Frankie? Uh, Tom's actor. The, the, the famous. He's my, uh, he's my director and I'm his actor. Okay, but you. But you, you I'm like, a photographer. Yeah, no, I know. I'm oh, aware. Sorry. Of that, but you were you. But you act. You're, you're acting in this, or is it like is there a persona in the doc? I wasn't acting. It was actually one point in the film where Tom asked me to do something, and I said, "Hold on, that's a bit too much like acting." Yeah. He was basically following me around. Yeah. Yeah. Tagging on sort of thing. Subject, character. Fly, fly on the wall, but yeah. do what I tell you. Kind collaborator. <laughs> yeah. Collaborator um, in a sense. Collaborated, yeah. Collaboration, uh, yeah. So yeah. we're we're joined we're joined by t- uh, Tom Callahan, like Dirty Harry. Um <laughs> Callahan. Um and Frankie Quinn. Um first of all, how are you? Scram. Yeah. Doing yeah. good. Doing good. Apple. How about yeah. that Ackle Island, huh? It's amazing. Oh, Isn't it gorgeous? It's beautiful. Beautiful. wonderful. Absolutely. Um and we were blessed with such good weather yesterday. I mean, uh, yeah, it doesn't feel like work, does it? I got work. Um, so, um, first of all, um, your your film is called Good Fences. Uh, tell me. Yes, the answer is yes. <laughs> dot 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 ellipsis uh, semicolon. Um, um, tell us about the inception of the project. How you two met? Um, uh, how you've got to this stage? You obviously have an, an incredible rapport. Um, how, what what's the genesis of the project? How did it how did it come to fruition? Well, um, we both have a, com- a mutual friend named Connor McCabe, Connor McCabe, and no, sorry, Connor McGrady. I think it was someone else. Connor McGrady, um, who, uh, when I first visited Ireland, connected me to Frankie Quinn um, in 2018. So we met and just got to know each other and got to know Frankie's work about the Peace Walls in Belfast. And then I bought a book about the Peace Walls that featured his photography. And then um, I followed up the next year, said, I'd love to make a film in Ireland. Do you have any recommendations? He said, you know, I'm working on this new body of work and you're welcome to come out and follow me during this um, four series on the wall four series on the walls and also um the 50th anniversary of the peace walls being built in 1969 so he just welcomed me into his home into his life and they're not two words that should really exist together coexist peace walls right yeah well it's a term uh generated originated with the british army uh the british army general at the time in 1969 ian freeland you call him mm-hmm. he's famously says that the uh that these the peace lanes would be a very temporary affair. He called them peace lanes. He said he, that was their terminology. Yeah. And he also said that the peace lanes would be a, would be a very temporary affair. Uh, 
Yeah, the yeah. squirmish in the north kind of thing. There, there, there were, there were so at the time, when the first one went up in, uh, near Bombay Street, which was burnt out in 1969, um, people were people had no idea, firstly, how long the conflict was going to last for, and therefore how, um, how long the peace lives were going to last either. Mm -hmm. the, uh, after the burning of Bombay Street in 1869, and, uh, apparently all along, just from the Falls Road to Shank all along, there was over 200 barricades. People had to uh, build the barricades to stop further incursions you know, from, from the shackle. And, of course, that meant that the areas became sort of no-go areas. And when the British Army moved in, they had to... They, they needed to take some control. They needed to take the barriers down, so they replaced them with walls, with peace lines. The initial peace lines were made... They, they were made of temporary uh, materials, like corrugated iron, barbed wire, sandbags, and stuff like that. But over the years, they they, they became as they as they stretched out from West Belfast, they all over like especially North Belfast, which which contains over half of or contains half of all the forty eight peace lines in Belfast. It's because of the geography of the of North Belfast. It's just like a patchwork quilt, and uh, and when the troubles broke out, uh, that's sort of uh, every people moved into their sort of what you would call respected ghettos, you know. Mm. So they, the peace lines gradually became bigger, stronger, and more permanent looking. Mm. And he also says, that Freeland at the time also says that he wouldn't have a Berlin Wall or anything like that in the city. <laughs> but it's strange, the Berlin Wall only lasted something like 30 years, from 1851 to, you know, yeah, 89. 89, yeah. And uh, peace lines are over 51 years old now. 50, no, more than that, 50, 69, 54 years old. Yeah, but they've mm -hmm. become, I suppose, part of the, the fabric oh, yeah. of the area. I mean, if you, like... I heard you say earlier in, during the, the chat that if you, even partially taking them down would be a symbolic gesture of uh -huh. the new Northern Ireland, you know, yep. and it should happen. It should happen. I mean, since the Great Friday Agreement, have, I don't know where people get this from. People are mistaken, the fact that are mistaken by saying there's more walls went up. Uh, that's actually not true. But what did happen was that a lot of the walls were because they were crumbling. So a lot of them, the structure themselves was like they were repaired. They were refurbished, redesigned. Yeah. Some of them were completely like the Springfield Road, a, a great expense. I think the budget in two thousand and three for when I started Peace Line Series Three was something like six hundred and eighty thousand pounds just. To, uh, but what they did cleverly, they uh, sort of for people who aren't from Belfast, if you go along Springfield Road, mm -hmm. you see this lovely, lovely brickwork and, and fences and, and the shrubbery and all the rest of it. And he would think maybe that if he didn't know what it was, what it was a peace line, he would maybe think it was a factory or an industrial estate behind it or something like that. So yeah. they've sort of they've redesigned them very cleverly that um, and sort of to make them more of a static to the eye. You know, some of them are horrible looking. With that. Um, yeah, that that kind of urban decay, urban decay, grey cement look is mm -hmm. really good for tourism, tourism, isn't it? Um, Tom, tell us about um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hmm. Um, how did you come to be a filmmaker? Hmm. Um, how how did you end up? What's your interest in Ireland and hmm. and the Irish uh, cultural and creative landscape? Sure. Yeah. Um, I 
became a photographer. I never studied. I took a few classes, photography classes in high school, then in college, got really interested in darkroom photography. And then slowly enough, um, transferred into digital and then the digital cameras had video options. So I mainly did like street photography and community photography projects. Mm -hmm. And then, and you're from, from Chicago, Chicago. Yes. not Cincinnati, not Cincinnati, <laughs> from Chicago, the other C Midwest. Shout uh, out to Maeve there. We're, we're only messing, Maeve. Don't, don't, uh, <laughs> please continue to give the festival free beer. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I uh, was doing work with different community organizations in Chicago around photography, but then transferred into videography. And then there was a lot of protests happening in Chicago and community organizations doing work for social justice and for social, social transformation. So I started making videos of protests, recaps, and then making, promoting uh, the organizations behind them and the organ and then the campaigns at large. And it just kind of kept growing and people kept wanting me to work with their groups. And I just love making videos that reflected the work that I wanted to support. Mm -hmm. And then that opened me up to more international politics, international cultural issues and dynamics and so you're quite socially conscious. I am, and I try to, and thankfully video has been a great way to contribute, you know, to different movements. Um, and thankfully what's, your, had, what's your favorite movement? Um, <laughs> I would say uh, the abolition of I prison, say something prison abolition. Okay. Yeah, prison, prison industrial complexes, but the one that I've spent the most time working with in Chicago. Yeah, the movement to abolish police and prisons. And I know that might... So scare people police and prisons yeah i mean the prison industrial complex because they're all yeah. really wrapped into one they 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 work for each other yeah so i know it's a whole another podcast <laughs> yeah to kick it look yeah I, I agree with you too yeah i'd be an advocate of common sense uh just look there's it's kicking the can up the road exercise mm -hmm. in general you mm -hmm. know nobody nobody learns nobody mm -hmm. um Hmm. rehabilitates really not know. the way it's set up no 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 it's it's, it's a flawed system yeah um so tell us about uh this project it seems yeah, like so you just kind of it like it was really organic and and the like it seems to be born out of a friendship which is always the best place to work or yeah. to start from with people. Yeah. yeah like kind of to your earlier question i can combine into that is that um like i have irish roots my, my dad's side distant Irish roots you know we I grew up not knowing much about anything because he my dad never connected or really looked into the history where his family's from yeah. in in uh Carrie and Kevin and it uh it just interests me to know what how that played how that history plays a part in the world that we're living in now how we got to the United States what type of you know what why do we not know anything about it? You know, what is that history? What legacies brought us here? And so I got interested in that. Mm -hmm. And some of the people that we both knew, you know, were involved in the same political work that we were doing, but also had, yeah, just similar worldviews. And that's how me and Frankie kind of hit it off. Just know, just being interested in the shared politics of solidarity with, with Palestine. And you're both photographers as well. Or yeah. Where, where that is. A, that's a huge part of it because I grew up, I mean, I, moving to Chicago from the suburbs, I tried to be a community photographer and, and did in some ways. But Frankie, to me, really stood out as someone who was so rooted in his community and had, and his photographs were just an extension of his relationship to the people around him and the community around him and, and the city. And then larger and larger world just keep expanding. So I really looked up to what he did and really admired it. And I really wanted to to just 
yeah, just tag along and see what his what his how he did what he did, and then learn through his storytelling what his how he got to the point of doing the work that he does now. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, just really look up to admire the work that he does, and happy to get to know him better and better about how he does that. Mm-hmm. So. And catalog that as well. Tell us yeah. about your work. Tell um, us um, how lo- how long you've been doing it. Um, and, and, well, my dad and, bought me a camera from the sixteenth birthday. My yeah. dad, he, bought, he got me a camera from the sixteenth birthday and told me to stay out of trouble. Yeah, puts you right uh, in the middle of trouble, doesn't it? Camera got me into more trouble than I ever believed. <laughs> And where else would you that, rather that's be? That's another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but the Peace Names work started. I, I was looking for a project to do in, it might have been, it was 93 it started. Okay. And I was chatting with a couple of friends and someone says, here, they're taking down the houses in Brazen Street and they're okay. putting the wall up there. That's going to, that's going to affect my daily life. And then it started off, because uh, Brazen Street was a, uh, the street where I was born into, and it was the street where we were put out of our house. Mm. Uh, we were refugees in 1970. I was only four year old, so there was a significance in the fact that the peace line started where our house used to be, you know. And they started that, and then published by August 19 September '94. I had enough images there to, to publish a like a. It's more or less a catalogue of the exhibition, but it was a, it's a book catalogue. So it's a thing, you know, book. Yeah, yeah. Photo book. And, uh, and then I had to say, to go back about, let's see, there was a 1983, and then I went back in 2003, but it was a different different form. I used 35 millimeter in the first thing, and then the second time, I realised that the, the, the nature, the shape of the walls lent itself to the panoramic mm-hmm. uh, format. So... I got a Hasselblad X-Pan, 35mm uh, panoramic camera, mm-hmm. and used that. I think that's my best work on the, on the pace lines. And then I went back to 2003, and then about eight years later, I was doing another series with Vicky Caustic, the writer. She was doing her, she was writing her book, uh, Towards 2023, The Vision. Uh, a City Without Walls. A City Without Walls, you call the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fantastic uh, in-depth research uh, with over 100 interviews she did. Um, and it was to do directly with, just at that time, and uh, Peter, McGin- uh, Peter Robinson and Martin McGinnis had this idea called the 2023 vision to take down the walls or to at least start the conversation about taking down the walls by 2023. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's when I did my third. And I, I moved to, up to medium format I uh, used this. It's a tech stuff I'm talking here, but no, no, there, no there's know, plenty of gigs that Fuji, love this. <laughs> Fuji, Fuji six one seven. Okay, it gives you uh, negatives for uh, six centers, meters by seventeen centers. Do you still shoot on film? Uh, Depending, on I have. A, I'm shooting a, a project now here on film. Okay, lovely. Uh, but uh, so I used the Fuji six one seven on series number three, and then just at that time, twenty nineteen. It was the anniversary, 50th anniversary of the first wall going up and 25 years since I started taking pictures of the walls. So I began series number four. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this time it was in digital and it was colour. Ah, uh, okay. And the reason being, because of the 20 odd, these anniversaries, 50 years and, and 25 years. It's my it, should, it should reflect the progression of, of well, you see, I wanted to show the times the, as well. I, I wanted to show the progression of time and I couldn't have done that in black and white, I don't think. Because when you see colour, you see the, the rust. Yeah. 
the decay, the color of rust, the color of decay, the bleeding of the, the rust onto the concrete. Of, uh, yeah, the color of, uh, of plant colonization, which you see a lot Oxidiz now. Where, 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 oxidization, rather. Where, where, where uh, some of the places are being overgrown with uh, vegetation and stuff, so hiding the walls, you know. Almost, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's, so that's that's mm -hmm. another. The way the one brace, the way the piece laying in now, uh, Brayson, uh, at the corner of Brayson Street, Madrid Street's going to go. Mm. You're not going to see it in a couple of years. Yeah. It's going to be completely overgrown. So, yeah. and that was Peace Lane series number four, and Tom, that was 2019, and uh, that's when I had the big accident. I had the, the exhibition in Belfast exposed. Okay, um, how long did you shoot over? What? How long a period did you shoot this? We did it, um, we came at the end of June and shot till the middle of July, so about three weeks. Okay. So it was very much just tied to his hip, follow him around and... Gorilla style. Yeah. Very informal. I, I Like we were talking about earlier, I just kind of know how to do what I do. You know, I don't know, like I've yeah, never yeah. worked with a crew on that level, you know, so it's just kind of... Frankie, it's kind of funny because Frankie would say things like, He'd give me tips and I'd be, he'd be like, for horses. Be, <laughs> I have an uncle in Belfast who does that. <laughs> he'd say something like, you know, maybe think about doing this. And then he'd catch himself. He said, oh, he said, oh, I don't, I'm, why am I telling you how to make it? You're the filmmaker, you know? And then, yeah, yeah. But I said, I welcome it all because, like, I don't, I don't know. I'm trying to, it's a best idea, best idea wins, but I'm still the director on the, on the credits. Is yeah. That what you just said? <laughs> in the credits, you know, we put collaboration because it really was us working together and like what what how frank what frankie was doing was what guided the film and i wasn't yeah. really saying do this and do that I was just really just following along and and i got a lot of his input he gave so much input to the project so yeah it was good for me too at the time because you know give me a wee bit of an extra joke to, mm. to go out and finish the project off and work on it yeah a bit more so that was a good uh mucho for mucho <laughs> exactly mm -hmm. yeah and so yeah three weeks and we wrapped up and then kind of thought wow this is maybe we should do more you know to to widen out but then COVID hit and mm. we had talked to production companies in Belfast and they you know were interested in seeing how we could develop it and then just never got back and eventually we just thought you know let's just do it with what we have and you know it's hard you're talking to a lot of people and it's easy to feel like you don't have enough but then when you look at things you know as we've learned in film festivals there's so many different ways to tell a story and we had enough to tell Sometimes a story yeah yeah, I mean, yeah, you can kind of talk yourself into destroying the essence of it, you know, yeah. to try and stretch it out. Because we were him in hand for what? It's like a skin on a drum, you know. If you, if you, you know, if you try and overstretch it, it's gonna, it's gonna crack, right? Yeah, or it's gonna uh -huh. rip. Yeah, um, exactly. Um, there's a couple of questions, that, similar questions that we ask everybody that comes mm -hmm. on our podcast, but um, I'll start with a kind of simple one, and and, and this will be particularly of particular interest to you. Um, Frankie, because rejection and ups and the ups and downs of life. How do you, both of you individually, um, deal with um, the downtimes and the rejection? You know, when things mm. don't go your way <laughs> in filmmaking, but also in life. Um, where do you I'll start? take that nice <laughs> easy one. Um, no, where do you start? Because trying to get funding now up the north is. Virtually impossible. It's tricky, right? Uh, tricky. It's, it's, it's worse than tricky. It's uh, plus the the phase that the the funding is the big cuts in the arts council changed. They seem to have opened it up to more people, you know, uh, which is a good thing. You know, technicians and people who work in any way within the arts, but 
when there's people like me, they're people who turn the lights on in the upper house or turn the or pull the curtain back. It was an important job. But people like myself, we we're the ones who put stuff on the walls. Go the people go mm -hmm. see. Yeah. You know, and we're the ones that should be getting the funding. And I'm I'm just I can talk I guess because I I got knocked back from the, the last the, the support for the individual arts program, which I with a with a an application I thought was very strong, but mm. it set me back, you know. Yeah. Because it was COVID and there was no, we called it the SIAP program, the yeah, support yeah. for the individual artist program. And I, and I, I, I put a lot of effort into this thing and I thought we were going to go for it. And then, uh, but there was, they come back with the same thing all the time. Too many applications, not enough money. Yeah, yeah. Now what I'm saying to myself, now what the fuck did I spend all that money on a master's, a fine art degree, yeah. an MFA for? Yeah. yeah. I'm supposed to open up all I, I feel your pain. I got rejected twice last week on two different things. Mm. Thanks very much. Frank, you need to educate it. You need to go on things. So it did. I went and done the MFA uh, in the University of Ulster, graduated uh, and with accommodation, and it hasn't really opened up, up that many doors. And the, the worst thing about the Northern 10% cut this year at least, and then another 10% next year. And the, 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 the same, I'm trying to ask i'm trying to find out uh you know there's all different art forms coming into this limited, this small budget mm -hmm. like dance choreography brilliant everything there's everybody all jazz everything all the different art forms but i'm wondering it was in the visual arts mm -hmm. where photography comes into it yeah. where within that small budget within the visual arts does photography come Mm -hmm. And I don't think it goes too far up the list. And our our part, the photographer's part of the budget is tiny, you know. Yeah. So I, where I I understand, but you know, getting knocked back, it was just very difficult to handle. Yeah. After. Or if it's just, the, or if it's just not an application that's of merit, you know that's understandable too. Yeah. Sometimes we know ourselves that we didn't put as much effort into it, you mm. know, or, or we weren't ready for it, you know, yeah. so to speak. But if you've, you know, if you've earned your stripes, mm -hmm. the the work is there for all to see. Uh, after forty years, I'm fifty seven, you know, yeah. I think you, and, and I think the projects are, uh, are are good. And in fact, it's, I mean, you're only asking for a couple of grand. Yeah, you're not asking for. Yeah, fortunes. It's just enough to get you. Give us enough to keep going. For the thing, uh, for diesel, for the car, for film, for clothes. Fucking that, that, food in your belly. Basic yeah, minimum. Yeah, yeah. Even yeah. materials. Yeah, you, you, you're cooking a really profound answer there, aren't you? No, I can I'm, see. I'm just. I can see the ham, yeah, hamster maybe, running maybe around you're right. Maybe you're right. But I'm just appreciating <laughs> what you're saying because it is. It's good to remember, the what's happening in the art world, but. Um, yeah, I um, usually work for people that hire me to make a film for their organization or their effort. And it's like, I don't really experience the rejection from that because yeah. it's like we have relationships where they want it, I want to do it, we'd make it work and we appreciate it ourselves. And mm -hmm. there's no real submission, you know, for that. We're just creating things to exist and be screened and to put online. And it, it feels great and people appreciate it. And I think that's one thing is like, so much of my work people appreciate like because it's for a certain effort that people were involved in yeah. but getting into the film world this is i've made films before but this is the first time i've tried to really get it i've been dipping my toe into the documentary world and the festival world and um yeah i think you know it's it's it's, uh, it's hard to be rejected because um i'd love to be in these different spaces 
you know yeah. i'd love to be sharing the stage with the filmmakers i love and be in the places where people are trying to see it um but at the same time it does i do there's an opportunity to be humble i'm not also mm -hmm. like basing like basing my rent off the success of this like i'm doing this on the side and trying to see how it goes and then hope maybe put some more weight into it put some more effort into it later but sure but it is hard and but then coming to places like this like the echo island film festival like it just it's a great in any community setting but especially for here like it's just a great affirming place because mm. you know those voices of rejection feel quieter because you realize that when you share the space with people and they check out, they see the work, they meet you, mm. they meet the people involved and you get some type of reinforcement that you're doing something right. You're yeah. appreciated. It's a value. And even just to be seen yeah. is great. So, and then, you know, some of these bigger festivals, they don't, I've heard that sometimes they don't even get to watch your film. So it just is nice to feel seen and, and just to be appreciated. So I'm, I think it helps balance it out. You know, I think it'd be really a shame if we got rejected from everything and never ended up, sharing space and this definitely yeah. every time we do a community screening it feels like satisfaction we're yeah. good we can go to bed i have a couple of uh, mates who were american filmmakers mm -hmm. um and i often take a lot of solstice and listening to their nightmare stories about <laughs> trying to get money for films yeah because we forget like in in uh, on the island of ireland we're mm -hmm. lucky to have arts funding you know mm. and i was saying oh isn't it great and you know but you know there are things we can go for. So there's a little bit of hope there. Mm. You know, the idea of, you know, in the States, I know they have to parents remortgaging houses mm. to get funding or, mm. you know, and even mm. college fees without even getting into that. Mm. Same as there. Um, you know, we don't know on some level how how easy we have it to a degree. Um, and I've been the beneficiary of, fun, of, of funding and bursaries my whole career. And I'm very grateful for it. But there's a, there's also a, like a very unique and brave hunger to American filmmaking mm. that I love. Because oftentimes people in, 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 in our country uh, can be, they're, they throw their toys out of the pram. This is like some really big filmmakers that they didn't get that bit of funding, but they had no plan B, mm. you know? Mm. So they're like, the whole project's fucked. I'm like, well, why aren't you out looking for finance? Mm. Like, mm. why aren't you crowdfunding? Why aren't you mm. doing something else? Yeah. If you cared and if it was that meaningful to you, mm. you'd find a way. Mm. And and Americans are very good at finding a way. Harry, I dealt with kids now back the last time. Yeah. I phoned some, I phoned a friend up. He, he knows a bit about the arts scene down here. Just says, uh, I, I, I said, I, I have an Irish passport here. I'm going to have to apply for funding. I've always led to believe we can't apply up in the north for funding down here. And, uh, I says, I have an Irish passport and as Irish as anybody else down there. Absolutely. I'm going to have to start a plan. There has to be, you know, some kind of rule change or some kind of opening up where I can apply. I can start up because uh, I'm an Irish person living in the north. can't get funded. And uh, why should I not be able to apply down south? So I'm going to explore that route. Oh, but you absolutely should. I have, to, I have to explore that route. There's no other one. Yeah. And, you know, got, no I don't know where north. the fuck we get the money from down yeah. here. Like, you know, the, the bursaries are a little higher. Mm -hmm. You know, mm. um, she had that scheme recently where the people get picked. Oh, the the artist get, uh -huh. subsidy, yeah, it, which is this, similar Jesus to what you were talking about. Happy. Yeah, three hundred quid a week luck, for four years. Three hundred dollars yeah. a week <laughs> to do your work for four years to do, to to do whatever. Oh, that's great. Uh, tax free. 
I like that. But only 2,000 people. It's a pilot scheme, so 2,000 okay. 2, oh, okay. people got it. There's a hot job. Yeah, I went that. for it, didn't get it. Thanks mm. very much. <laughs> Leo. Shout out to you. <laughs> Shout out to Leo Veronica, our teacher. Well, there's a name billion now, so let's... Yeah, well, we, who knows? They might, they might throw another fucking couple of million at it. Um, mm. what, what, what have you learned about yourselves from this experience? Hmm. I'm just keep plodding on. Hmm. That's it. Just keep, keep doing it. Just find the hours in the day to do what you like there. Just because he knows that when I'm like back in Belfast with you know, uh, you know, everything else, you know, uh, trying to earn a living as a photographer, trying to do my art, yeah. and trying to, you know, trying to stay alive, and, you know, yeah, keep a car in the road and all the rest of it. Yeah, the hustle. So mm. just keep doing what you're doing, you know. I'm 40 years at it now. Do you have a, a, a mantra or a, you know, positive affirmation that you tell yourself? It's, uh, it's half the battle's enjoying what you do. Yeah. I don't think we're present enough, are we, when things are going well? Aye. Uh, yeah. Mm. We're very present when things, when we were very uniquely focused on the present when things are going badly. And I always have I always have wee projects and pipelines and wee ideas. Mm-hmm. Always and then chip away at those over time. You remind like, me of someone I know. I'm down here at the moment. I started the project yesterday up on up in the uh the abandoned famine village up there. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm doing a, I'm working on a project about uh Bohar and Gorda, the famine roads. Okay. After reading uh, reading Evan Bowen's poem and poem The Famine Road inspired me to uh, to work on this, just yeah. had this idea, reading that poem, and realised that it, had, it hasn't been done before. So I'm working on that. Identifying a niche, huh? Uh, well, it's, yeah, I've got a couple of wee ideas. Like, I, it's, it's important to keep, have wee ideas and just chip away at them and then see where it takes you. you know? yeah. So I come down here with an 1851 fold-out Zeiss camera with 120 roll film, 6x9 negatives. And, Not uh, anymore. Yeah, I've just nicked it. And, I'll, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, you know, people have somebody asked me today about the color shooting the pace lines, but the ever the the next project will determine whether I use film and what format I use. Yeah, what well, you know, what, what fucking paper are you gonna use? I, I don't did, know. I did a whole project traveling four four years uh following the orange order, believe it or not. Oh wow. Using a Rodiflex square format, you know. Yeah. So, uh, Tell you a story I about the orange order. I drove up to Donegal on the 12th of July in a, in a cork reg car all the way through everything that was going on and I just didn't know the day uh, pure silly ignorance uh, a couple of years ago yeah my car's never been hit by so many eggs damn <laughs> but it was kind of fun and not no, I didn't feel in danger don't like but I didn't really no of course not but um, no but like like it was one of the most interesting experiences because mm. I've never seen the 12th of July in, in the flesh mm. so it was fascinating and um, mm. Yeah, and I was scraping egg. Just don't try and walk across the road during the parade. Yeah, well, we were driving behind it like fucking JFK. <laughs> <laughs> um, what about yourself? Um, I think I learned that about myself is that, you know, you go, I go into a project and sometimes you look, you have a story in your head about what you think something is you know frankie's life frankie's work the peace lines and i think i learned that it's really necessary to to let a lot of it go and see and try to reflect what's in front of you because you know i think learning about 
like we've been hearing here about the life of a photographer photographing something for a long period of time that's kind of connected to a much bigger social reality like it's not the romantic story of like the photograph just mm -hmm. is just going to crumble this wall like it's connected to things that are bigger you know and like like i learned a lot of what frankie said you know about how politics are really really slow process and mm -hmm. as a photographer his role is to um it's a metaphor for the whole peace process isn't it it's a metaphor for northern ireland yeah you know? to like yeah and like and just like how everyone i mean this the, film, way, the, gov the way the government is our lack of governance well, there. if you look at it in the way uh, if you look at the way of partition mm -hmm. belfast is like a microcosm the island was partition which created the conditions of mm -hmm. partition created the conditions yeah. which led to the peace lines going up in belfast yeah i also think like you know it i looked i was thinking more very much us first them in terms of the communities on different sides of the peace lines and i think frankie really taught me it reflected back to me how you know it's much it's different you know it's mm. like the, the the way forward really like following his lead you know it involves understanding the commonality not uh, not ignoring the power differences but looking at the commonality mm -hmm. and i think it just kind of reflected back to me that i can i can be ang ang you know ready for that kind of that battle and that 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 showdown and and that you me you versus me and i think the whole process taught me that and it's been reflecting in my life in general that you know whether personal life or or you know things back in chicago like it's the way mm -hmm. forward really involves having to really not i'm not saying just talking is how things are going to change but like it does just kind of breaking down that i'm going to beat you especially other other working people yeah you know, I, I, think. I win yeah people don't have to win one side doesn't have to win and i suppose it's a isn't it a you know it's a focusing on the commonalities first because yeah. oftentimes it's like we're like you know they wear odd socks you know and whatever else it is focusing on the, the exterior as opposed to the introspective perspective mm. where it's like look i don't agree with them that's okay you know there are other people who have drastic uh differences of opinion about social matters and so on like for example i was in new york last week and i had a great chat with someone at the bar for ages and we we're getting on a, like a house on fire and I would be kind of more, you know, democratic leaning over there, socialist in Ireland. And he was, you know, card carrying Trump support, mm. which I understand. And like, and mm. I'm, it didn't change. This is the thing. It didn't change my opinion of him mm. because of that. Mm -hmm. Funny thing, I had respect for him for his conviction and his his um, his loyalty to his own ideals. Mm. You know, and it's that kind of commonality that you have to find in people and go, you're different, I'm different, but that's okay, you know? Yeah, it's hard, you know, like, I mean, I'm coming in with very little of the history. I'm coming with no history in a sense of, like, when we're in these spaces, these these spaces where Frankie works, you know? Mm. I'm carrying, not, I'm not carrying what he's carrying, so it's a different... Um, yeah. I try. I think I just had to surrender a lot of it and just follow his lead and and understand. Look, look at things through how he sees it. And when he's when he's willing to engage with people in these host in these hostile spaces like the parade spaces, like mm. I think it just taught me to follow that. And 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 I just learned about that. I think one of the first things I, I said to Tom to realize that 
look at where all the police lanes are. They're in working class areas. What does that tell us? Politics, yeah, and there's no, you don't see peace lines up, and that's where the idea of the Robert Frost good fences make that's good neighbors come. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Came up because uh, uh, I always say there's no fence, there's no, there's no peace lines up on the Malone Road where all the rich live in Belfast. You know, there's plenty of hedges, nice hedges, but yeah, there's a, uh, <laughs> yeah, the 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 the, the, uh, mm-hmm. the there's no divisiveness um, in the religion of money, is there? Mm. Well, wow. there is, but on different levels. Yeah. Um, th- thanks so much for for coming on. I'm fascinated. I'm fascinated by it all. Um, hmm. Where can people find out more about your respective work, both of you? www.frankyquinn.com and Dirty Harry it's where, where great, people find you it's a great it's a great website to look to Frankie's website um, you can find me at sensitivevisuals.com as you'd spell it normally sensitive visuals and then on Instagram sensitive visuals as well okay. and we'll be eventually releasing this film online so okay. love for you all to watch it where uh, is it playing in any other festivals over here or we, t- we we had not planned on being here and then not planned on and i forgot that i even submitted i mean just things got busy but yeah, we yeah. were ready to release it then we were put it off but then uh it's gonna hopefully we talk to somebody we're gonna submit it to the uh boyne valley international film festival I'm talking stuff. to frank out here so yeah he's a good guy yeah. i also keep an eye on short screen i mentioned to you yeah. earlier you can uh the rte the national broadcaster you can put it in and you can pay a pay hundred quid a minute you split that between us. Yeah, we'll have to. I have some questions about that. We'll have to maybe chat. We'll but chat yeah, yeah. It, yeah, and it's quite it's as simple as just dropping them an email. Okay. And if they like it, they'll screen it. Great. Yeah. So you'll get a broadcast on t- on Irish TV and a few cool. quid as well. Yeah, it'd be great. Okay. Be great. Um, listen, thanks for that tip. Thanks a million. Yeah. Thank you, Frank. Really appreciate it. I mean, Paul. I'm so sorry. I was thinking about Frank. <laughs> Paul. Well, yeah, I do have a Frank Sinatra vibe. Right. <laughs> uh, thanks a million. Have a great day. Thanks, Lance. Thanks. Thanks, Paul. Bye. Okay, welcome back to FNI Rap Chat. I'm your host for this episode, Mark Monks. Um, we are joined by two two creatives um, of the documentary Ireland's Last Matchmaker, director Sam and DOP Stanley. Welcome to the show. Pleasure to Thank meet you for having us. My first kind of question would be like, what was it like kind of developing the project in the pre-production phase? Uh, pre-production, I was sort of, I didn't even, wasn't even aware that I was in pre-production stage because I went to the Father Ted Festival in Lisbon Varna with uh, a couple of uni mates. Oh, nice. And we were all obviously dressed as nuns, um, <laughs> having a good time, going, going to all the bars and then going to the Father Ted house and all the rest of it. And then there was a special guest on um, called Willie Daly. He was a matchmaker. And he match made, well, he set one of my mates up who was, I think, 22 at the time with like a 55-year-old woman, <laughs> um, which I thought was bold. Um but yeah, so it sort of happened from there where I st- started chatting to him out in the smoking area. Um, and I just thought he was a really interesting character. So I decided to, after I finished uni, that I would um, go back and see him and make a film with him. It was was our sort of drunken promise to each other anyway. <laughs> um, and thankfully it sort of, yeah, turned into a reality. And I got Stan on board really early, really early on where it was just the two of us driving down to Clare, a lot of like tea and biscuits and things because yeah. we didn't want to bring the camera out too early Okay. Yeah. Um, just to make him feel comfortable and yeah, just to get to know him a bit more in his situation. Yeah. 
and lots of tea and biscuits and apple cake and yeah 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 what great. was your uh throughout the filming of the uh, actual doc itself what was like your process throughout it like was there did you try to do it like structurally or were you just kind of go and film as you go like that kind of stuff? we just wanted to do a, a day in the life sort of thing so yeah. we were just following him following him around like a bad smell almost <laughs> um the was was the way we did it and it was very it's observational documentary as well mm, so yeah. there weren't any like structured scenes that we really wanted to to create as such it just wanted to be more fly in the wall sort of a day in the life of his hectic sort of schedules of constantly answering phone calls from like single single men from across the across the island you know looking yeah. for their their one and only um and we got lucky in the sense that we started filming pre-covid mm. oh, okay. so we were really so that's when stan was with me a lot was uh he was helping film the um matchmaking festival mm. so that was willie at his at his height at his yeah. you know well that's part of the so once a once a year i guess that's part of it the mm. list and van is, is there's almost like this museum to him as you go around the place the street signs and there are pubs devoted to him uh, uh, yes yeah, so, so once a month there's a matchmaking festival where it seems every weekend he holds for in the what's the name of the bar matchmaker bar i think the matchmaker bar <laughs> yeah holds four in there and he's got this i would obviously it was very important to get that the actual matchmaking that's when you sort of see the clamor amount around him as a man <laughs> but he comes in with this book and all of the applications of these sort of lonely hearts trying to find love sort of looks through them gets them all together in a pub and just i think almost through the sheer he's he's a real people's person and we'll just mm -hmm. chat with someone and pair him up and Oh, oh, Mary! This is this is Paul here. He's a lovely farmer man. He's he's a good humble man. You'll... And, and then just sort of sets them on their way, and they they're just drinking and chatting the rest of the night. He's a perfect icebreaker. Yeah, he really I mean, that's is. literally his job. Yeah, in yeah. a way, you know, that's that's what he does. That's what he embodies. And it's so amazing just seeing a man who's been through like a lifetime of it. Yeah, it's like was he a? He's from a line of matchmakers now. Yes. Yeah. Mm, okay. So he's he's third generation. I no, think okay. he yeah. says it in the film. I sh should really know that third mm. or fourth generation. So, um, yeah, his f father's father's father right. was was the first one for lonely farmers, and then obviously okay. it's branched out <laughs> yeah. into mm. this uh, much bigger thing. But um, yeah, I just wanted to. We just wanted to hang around him and see how he, how he worked, and it's quite a peculiar, unique sort of occupation to have. Yeah. You know, where he's. Um, Sort of the self-professed doctor of love, I guess, <laughs> is what he would say. Sam always so. used to refer to him as Tinder personified, which yeah. I, whenever I need to tell anyone about the film, that's they're the few words I use. <laughs> he is Tinder personified. That's him. That's yeah. wild. Yeah, I was gonna say like for the listeners at home, like uh, what exactly is a matchmaker? Like what do they do and that kind of stuff? Just... Well, he's he's the go-between in the sense that he'll he'll suss people out, suss their vibe. You know, yeah. he gets applications in, so like all handwritten stuff, mm -hmm. you know, old school. And um, he'll look to see what their sort of their ideal type would be and stuff like that. And then he'll pair them up. Okay. Um, but where he's at his strength, which was what we were lucky to be able to film. Because um, the Matchmaking Festival, obviously because of COVID, wasn't on for two yeah. years after that. So a lot of the original stuff we use in the film was all pre-production anyway. We just shot it on a whim of nice. like, hopefully, you know, to get a teaser up and then you know to get funding yeah, that way yeah. but it all ended up going in the film because it was so precious at the time because yeah there was no matchmaker festival so um 
Yeah, what was your question again? I was just saying, like, just oh, the, the process. Yeah, the that pro- was yeah. that's pretty much it. He's just the he's <laughs> yeah. just the go between, and he's yeah. an expert at just making everyone feel really comfy, and yeah, then just pairing them off, and then yeah. you know, suddenly leaving, leaving them to it. And also, to for me personally, I mean, Sam, Sam is the man who found the idea, fell in love, and sort of stayed in touch with with a man who's very hard to keep in touch with. The yeah, the yeah. emails that they exchange are sporadic and and brilliant and absurd yeah but i I mean for me it was we lived together in belfast at the time but it was just an excuse to drive down the road and see something truly unique it's the (laughs) joy of making documentaries you get to be nosy and experience a life that you wouldn't wouldn't get to see or have a hand in otherwise yeah yeah it's kind of like have a perspective's kind of view of the whole kind of situation yeah Yeah. Yeah. just to be in scenarios that you weren't expecting yourself to be in you know yeah Yeah, if if you've got a a, a nosy heart like well I th- definitely you do like mm. i do mm. it's a it's a joy yeah mm-hmm. yeah like one of my favorite kind of uh observatory documentaries is gray gardens i love oh, i love gray gardens as yeah well. the Maisley brothers yeah Maisley yeah, yeah. brothers yeah and it's They're just brilliant. like i love that kind of style where you just kind of just point a camera and just let the situation just kind yeah. of go yeah know? yeah absolutely i mean the thing is with documentaries now anyway a lot of it that observational type is quite I guess kind of old school now in the sense that it's all much more structured, master interviews and archive yeah. sort of thing. Whilst with this one, yeah, it was just us chilling and hanging out with them for a lot of the time. Yeah. Just hope, you know, letting the camera roll and see where we ended up because that was sort of his chaotic world anyway. That yeah. he didn't know where he was going tomorrow. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so we just yeah. sort of like turned up at his doorstep in the morning and we're like, right, well, where are we going to go from here? That's insane. And he just rolled with us, but he's yeah. he was really really sweet with us in the end, you know as well. So, mm. um, yeah, having like gaining trust with your contributors was like a big thing for us anyway. Amazing. So the first two trips, I don't think we we didn't really film much at all. It was yeah. more just like catching up and like co- tea and coffee and, and yeah, yeah. Interesting. yeah, pretty much. Was he? Uh, was there a difference between like with him on the camera or off the camera, or was he just like at a hundred like the entire time? Um, there was a bit of a difference. I think that's, again, why we sort of, we would sometimes bring the camera out and just like to see how he would he would react to it. But to get the more observational moments, you're trying to like sort of forget that we're there sort of thing, mm, Yeah. Um, which is obviously tough because you've got a big camera pointing at him. But <laughs> yeah. he, he loves the camera. Mm. I think he's sort of um, embraced it over the last like 20 years or so. Yeah um because there's been a few things on him um but yeah in terms of like a visual style i suppose were you influenced by any other kind of observation documentary films or were you kind of like trying to make up your own kind of visual style for the film itself i I guess we were you you were taking it as it comes and obviously the landscape played a massive part in it where he lived in sort of rural clare was Mm. stunning Mm mm-hmm but then, yeah, I, I mean, cinematically, nothing particular, but just trying to show as much of his eccentric life yeah. and mind as possible. He also farms and keeps donkeys <laughs> and has a donkey museum. He's yeah. got these hand-painted signs that are scattered at about a kilometre around his house saying, <laughs> like, donkey farm, come here. And they're, you know, fantastically painted and they just have an arrow on them. Follow him to his house. It was just trying yep. to 
capture him and the inner workings of his mind. Yeah, and also, sort of the weird world that he finds himself in as well. Yeah. I think that was a character in itself that we wanted to mm. to really portray. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I was thinking, like, like in terms of the editing, like, was it difficult to kind of make a structure of the film itself because it's shot so much? Or Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, definitely. But, like, we did have a lot of rushes yeah. coming in. So to try and find, I suppose, themes to it hmm. was quite difficult and did take a few days to sort of get wrap our heads around all the material. Yeah. But I think once we, I don't know, once we found it was, it was a lot more like we wanted it to feel like we're just, the audience just sort of rolling with him throughout hmm. his yeah. chaoticness anyway. <laughs> so we did keep it, it wasn't a rigid structure or anything. It was quite loose. Yeah. Okay. Um, and as I say, to to achieve that sort of day in the life sort of yeah yeah feel like a spice of life, just like yeah yeah exactly, yeah, yeah, and you're yeah. just rolling with them yeah. Um, but obviously by the end, you do want that other more nuanced side of the fact that he doesn't really have sons or daughters who want to continue it as of yeah, mm, yeah. as far as we're aware. So I always knew that that was going to be the end point was sort of opening up that question of who's going to be taking it over and how does he feel about the mm. idea of his sort of legacy of yeah. matchmaking yeah, um, coming to an end. The, you know. the three generations are coming to an end. Willie Daly, yeah. I, I think you'd remember it better than me. Willie Daly is, uh, I, I would hazard a guess at 70 to 80. He doesn't mm. know his own age. No. His, uh, his doctor, what is he? I think it was the priest who the, lost the birth certificate. Lost, lost the birth certificate. He, he's just sort of guessing at how old he is. Yeah. That's wild. So it's, you know, it's it's obviously just looking at, yeah, that that matchmaking and the fact that there's not there's not a succession plan lined up. No, yeah. but that's just the way he rolls. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, if you're if you're starting with the fact that you don't even know your own birthday, it's sort of like, right, well, <laughs> where do we go from here? You know? Also, just to touch just on the post, which I, I wasn't a part of, it was entirely Sam and mm. his work to sort of craft a story. And Shauna, the it. editor as well. Yeah, yeah. Shauna was fantastic. Yeah. I, I don't admire you for having to do that job because the because <laughs> Willie Daly is fantastic and amazing in all these insane ways. He speaks like a poet. Yeah, it's he goes on these sort of lovely rambling tangents. Mm. But yeah, for you to sort of cut together a, a you know <laughs> a, a a story well, and a could tale easily and, have been sixty minutes, but it yeah, turned, yeah, yeah, you know we had to keep it at under twenty. You'd you'd yeah. listen you'd listen a... to him for hours, but there are no clear cut points in his yeah. sort of tangented <laughs> fragmented stories yeah. yeah yeah that's wild yeah no I'd, I'd, he's that type of character i suppose i just listen to him and it's just, yeah, yeah. Sim similar to as you say with gray gardens it's like you're just yeah. when it's enigmatic characters like that yeah and you just want to sit and just watch them and yeah, just, just hang want, out with yeah. them almost you know in their weird eccentric world that they inhabit yeah just kind of watch the insanity like it's yeah, yeah. just watch it all unfold <laughs> as to how they yeah. how they go about things that's exactly what we were trying to mirror with Willie Daly as well. When you have yeah. such a strong character like that, you don't really need to, you just sort of need to be there mm. and show up um, with the camera and let it roll and yeah. let him just take take control, you know. Yeah. There's a question that we always ask on this podcast to uh, filmmakers, DPs and all that, and it's, um, how do you deal with rejection? Um, 
in in the film world, you yes. mean? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's not get onto love, please. <laughs> yeah. Are we talking in general or yeah. okay in the but film? If, yeah. Like if you like, I suppose, um, if you're submitting the, uh, this film, for example, for a film festival and it gets rejected, yes. and that sort of yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So I should have explained that oh, fully. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, my apologies. As far as right. since the film is about love and finding love, you know? yeah, no, that's what I mean. That's what I was. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, uh, yeah. How long is this podcast? Yeah. Maybe? Yeah, he's the love how long we got? Us. I was like, lock the doors. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I need another pint. But, um, how do I deal with re- rejection? I mean, I was al- always confident enough that this film would find its own home in yeah in its own film festivals and occupy its own place in them but i don't know we just keep firing them in yeah yeah. seeing how it goes and if it doesn't stick then just straight on to the next one i think i don't let it you can't let it harm you too much otherwise you'll just get nothing done i'd I'd like to argue the opposite case for (laughs) for anyone who might be listening yes i deal with rejection in any form terribly <laughs> and if anyone is out there listening to this you know that there's more than just none of you uh, yeah true true but you've got to have thick skin i think you're sort of you've got to em- embrace that side as well of like yeah it's not gonna work out it's not gonna work out you uh, just gotta keep ter- keep showing up yeah basically. I, I hope yeah, yeah. i learn my coping mechanism and how to deal with it <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I keep managing to build myself back up afterwards but yeah. you know there is a, a long mourning process I, sure, I I just watch Charlie Kaufman films. That's how I kind of break it. Oh, mind. Jesus. <laughs> it's not helping at all. Yeah, I think that would spiral me deeper in, you know? I recently, I, I forgot, um, oh, I forgot Charlie Kaufman's name recently and I Googled I'm Thinking of Ending Things <laughs> and Google was like, Samaritan's Hotline, don't kill yourself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, that's uh, <laughs> So with this film, um, is there any kind of... Uh, uh, future film festivals like this year that is going to be in or no it's so this is sort of coming up to it's it's sort of done a film festival oh, run okay, in a cool. sense um because it was at docs ireland and in, in oh, belfast yeah, yeah, where yeah. it got the um best short doc of the of the film festival which was great well amazing and it's been to film festa in rome as mm. well yeah which is in, i find it hilarious the idea that willie's been in <laughs> yeah. sort of like outdoor film setting in rome you know with yeah. italian subtitles <laughs> is uh good luck to whoever did that i mean i commend <laughs> yeah. them yeah wholeheartedly um yeah it's been uh, yeah across europe so now it's just it's great to be back at Ackle island where we showed our last documentary that i worked on um lira which was a feature doc oh, um last year here so it's just great to yeah. when i found out i was in here i was like this is the perfect sort of end of the willy daily run you yeah. know what i mean Will it be on and any I'm, like streamings or are you gonna not be really as good? far as I'm aware? Yeah, but we're we're gonna see see how we go. Nice. Do you have any future projects in the line in the pipeline? Um, we're both working on separate things at the minute. Mm-hmm. I mean, hopefully mm-hmm. at some point. Um, I've got one at the minute uh, that I'm working on based in Virginia, mm-hmm. which is following um a group of aspiring rappers. Oh, sweet. Okay, um, interesting. But it's sort of a film about yeah, but. The, 99% who don't make it yeah. you know what I mean as opposed to all the other success the stories yeah. Yeah. like what happens yeah when you... but so yeah so yeah. I'm hoping to do that and fly it to Virginia again nice in June in the summer yeah. hopefully and yourself Sandy? I'm, I'm living and working out of London now trying to uh, make make a life in feature films hmm. uh, but then just sporadic other bits of DPing uh, music videos and 
sort of commercial bits and short films. Nothing in the pipeline as it stands, though. Cool, cool. Well, it was lovely chatting to you. Thanks so much for coming on. No worries. Hello, welcome back to Rap Chat. Uh, I'm your host for this episode, Mark Bugs. Uh, We're in Ackle Island at the moment. Um, So, yeah. (laughs) So, apologies if the uh, sound is not the best. Um, We're currently in a camper van. Um, And, uh, yeah, it's been fun so far. We're on day two, day two. And today I'm joined with actress, writer, director, and interview coordinator, <laughs> Sinead Cassidy-Hold. Welcome. Hi. How are you? Good, good, good. I'm very, uh, very warm. Yeah. <laughs> this is very hot. Oh my God, the weather is amazing. Yeah, yeah. I've never seen so much sun. Yeah. There's, an, yeah. there's an insane amount. I was like, oh, you know, like I was not, I was like fully expecting like lash and rain. Cause, yeah, like, that's what I coast. packed for. I'm so lucky I brought an extra few little <laughs> sunny bits. Yeah. We had to go buy sun cream today. We were like, oh God, where are we going to get sun? Yeah, see, like, even though I thought it was going to be lashing rain, my mom was like, you're getting sun cream. I was like, yeah. but I don't want that. And it's like, she's like, you're going to burn. <laughs> like, because like, I'm already a tomato as it is, like, you know. <laughs> so, um, but uh, yeah, uh, I, I suppose, how's been, how's your Ackle Island Film Festival experience been? It's been really intense. It's been amazing. Mm. Um, the view everywhere is just incredible. Like, we've been stopping the car every two seconds to take photographs. So we're like, oh my God, we need to get that. Just get this get a video of it and the sheep oh my god there's so many sheep i've never seen so many in my life it's amazing um there's so many lambs it's almost be lambing season yeah i think so i think there's mm. meant yeah because like when we were driving like the mountain there just crossing the road and stuff like that was wild like it's okay we keep stopping we're like oh god we don't want to run them over because they're just so they just stand there and like stare at you and you're like what <laughs> they're trying to fight you like what but yeah, no, it's great. Akal's really amazing. The animation stay were really, really good. Yeah, yeah. I didn't get a chance fantastic. to watch. I didn't get to watch all of them. Uh, I kind of walked in a bit late, but the ones I watched yeah. were fantastic. Yeah. I thought they were brilliant. Like I think the best one. I can't remember the name of it, but it's the one um, about your one who hangs all the the guys in it, and it's just the oh, Lady Betty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah, commentary yeah. was amazing. Even like when the credits were rolling. Yeah, were like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. So funny. Really well done. <laughs> never seen anything like it it was really really good really well cast as well yeah like, yeah everything suited it so perfectly. the voice acting was phenomenal yeah, it was really fantastic um, I suppose just to kind of give the listeners a kind of background of what you do I know I've already mentioned it to start but to kind of like I suppose to describe yourself the best way possible how would you describe yourself oh god okay uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mainly go I go in a, a list because of the amount of roles that I do in the industry and I hear it all the time Um Starting off with actor, mainly for TV and film. Yeah. Um, a little bit of theatre and musical theatre. Um, intimacy coordination for TV and film. Mm-hmm. For anyone that doesn't know what that is, it's doing all the kind of, you know, intimate scenes for TV and film. Um, we, you might see some of my work on RTE's Mustard, which you no. have also featured in. <laughs> yeah. um, and many, many other things. Um, producer, produced a lot of um, independent films, writer, director we have a new one coming out soon expiration mm-hmm. date that you're yeah. also part of um and then also fx artists for tv and film and first ad as well amazing amazing yeah. bit of everything bit of everything jack of all yeah. trades yeah yeah <laughs> and can i ask then like what's your kind of fit like since you have so many kind of like roles on set what would be your favorite one to do oh, acting acting straight up yeah a million percent the love yeah. of my life 100 percent. always since i was a little kid wanted to do it but then got like super shy and like moved away from it for a while and then i turned 18 and i was like, oh screw it went to college went to the gaiety went to bow street and fell in love with it all over again and i was like okay this is the life for me and 
it's great that like in our industry or even in general when you find a job that you love that it doesn't feel like you're working yeah i feel like so many people aren't blessed with that and we are just so lucky that we get to do what we love and it doesn't even feel like you're doing a job yeah true yeah like that's kind of me when it comes to like audio engineering and like mm-hmm. boom operating and sound recording like i i love being on set i love chatting to people you're mm-hmm. always go you're always going to different locations you're always chatting to people all that sort of stuff like it's fantastic it's like a dull day. yeah exactly always something new and exciting and you meet amazing people and they become friends for life and yeah just, yeah it's great yeah it's amazing it's great i could not imagine myself in like a nine-to-five business office job i would just oh god yeah no, could not do it so i'd rather the craziness set even though sometimes you know no sleep crazy schedules really emotional stuff that you have to go through it's i wouldn't try to for the world yeah and i suppose when it comes to like acting like what would be your process when it comes to like like getting prepared for a character or for a role well i start with the script to kind of break that down completely um my script is never clean by the end of it <laughs> you've seen it as well i have like a million questions on it i break down everything i'm saying what my scene partner is saying why I feel that way, why I'm thinking that. I make a playlist for each character. I make yeah. playlists for the scenes specifically as well. And kind of get me to connect to it and get in the mood for it. I might find like a perfume or a scent that kind of reminds me of that character to yeah. get me into it. And kind of just get in their thought process of what they'd like to do day to day. And just kind of try become that person. Okay, yeah. Yeah, but bring Sinead to it. Well. yeah yeah kind of add a little spice you <laughs> like salt there right now <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah I think that's kind of the process and then finding like what kind of accent do they have as well like, mm, yeah. anything to add a little bit of flavour yeah yeah and, true yeah. interesting and yeah because yeah, like I, I always love kind of hearing actors kind of like perspective on how to get prepared because no no one has their own no, no one has like the same kind of process it's all different like you know um so i do i do find that kind of interesting um but in terms of like i suppose uh with your interview coordination like that's a whole nother ball game to kind of deal with like um can you just kind of give us a little introduction into that i suppose because like it is just insane like well intimacy coordination okay um the process i have with well even how i got into intimacy coordination um when i was studying in bow street um, they had us trained um, just to protect ourselves on set because intimacy coordination is such a new thing. A lot of people still don't know even what it is. Yeah. Um, so if you have certain scenes, sometimes you can have not so nice people on set that can try and like make you feel vulnerable or take advantage. So that way you're, you know, able to protect yourself and your other cast members on set. Um, and then a few kind of producers had seen my work on set and they were like, oh, that's really interesting. Can you explain it? And then they'd be like, oh come on the set and do it for us here and then I started doing more training with it started studying a lot more um, and then keep getting hired to do it which is great so it's yeah. a whole process with actors and um, I can relate to it more because I've been on both sides of it Yeah. Um, but it can be like if I get the luxury of having a few extra days with them we'll go into rehearsals mm. break it down and we kind of choreograph it like a dance a lot of people think it's or you know sex scenes or you just the two of them on top of each other and I get the question all the time if they're married do they really have to wear all the kind of most garments you do and <laughs> um, it's not real in the slightest it's really awkward it's really uncomfortable to do it can be really embarrassing you have like loads of crew in your face a camera in your face and you have to pretend you know you're either enjoying it you're, you're very vulnerable and um, so having an intimacy coordinator there you're there to protect the cast and the crew yeah to make sure everyone's comfortable all everyone's boundaries are kept 
everyone's consenting to everything and mm. it's just a safe environment so. yeah 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 like i kind of like um i kind of saw it firsthand when we were on mustard yeah. because that was that was a very kind of like is there any, yeah like it was it's kind of hard to describe because like i loved working on it it was great yeah, crack um but the whole premise was just wild like i loved it like it was and, like first day hi hello everyone yeah let's get out <laughs> yeah. walking out in the nip you're like oh okay yeah um but we got to know each other very well in that set which is great <laughs> yeah. um i love that we also got to do those scenes first because it got rid of all the awkwardness and everyone yeah. felt so much more comfortable around each other especially the actors with each other yeah um, they were so much happier but i had meetings beforehand with uh, our lovely director hildegard and mm. our two leads um who were just so so amazing to work with they were just so lovely they listened to all the rules our, our ad brian he was amazing. yeah he really yeah stuck to all of my my rules and regulations <laughs> yeah, yeah. over here um but yeah i think that was a really great experience and hopefully that brings more coordination to the table yeah i hope so too because like it's still like even now it's still relatively new on like on sets and that kind of stuff you know so i always kind of find it interesting to kind of learn more about that and that kind of stuff because it's not always just getting prepared for a sex scene or something like that like it's always about just helping like the actor get into a mindset whether it's like in a like a very depressive state or like even if it's like even a happy scene like sometimes actors just struggle with emotions you know you never I know realize how important it can really yeah be. yeah like i've had some awful experiences as an actor on set before even uh when i was really starting off and people didn't realize that oh we should have someone there to make sure the actors <laughs> are okay and i was working on a feature recently and one of the art department was actually my pa on the set i was on that i had that experience and she was talking about it and she was like yeah that really wasn't okay Sinead. and i was like yeah freshly 18 having a traumatic experience but yeah you live and you learn um, and things are changing which is amazing Ida O'Brien is doing so much amazing work yeah she, fantastic the, the three year degree that people can do now is amazing I have a lot of people reaching out to me since I've done the talk especially for F&I yeah 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 um, to shadow me I get the messages a lot like even every day and it's great to see so much interest yeah I think it's fantastic. It's great to kind of like get that interest for that kind of stuff because it's so important, you know, not just for the actors, but also for crew as well, like to make sure they're okay on set and that sort of stuff because some, sometimes when you're filming material, like it can be traumatic, you know, and people like, people have gone through uh, stuff like that. You don't know who, you know what I mean, have gotten through like that kind of experience or that kind of stuff, you know, so it's always nice to have that person on set to make sure everyone's okay. Yeah that kind of stuff and even when I was in Los Angeles in November um, you know how you network when you're over there you never really mm. leave your job when you go on holiday um, <laughs> and a few people were talking about it with me and they were like oh that's amazing that you're one of them like um, we still struggle even over here to have them you think even in America they'd be more advanced with it and they yeah yeah especially LA of all places yeah 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 they're struggling as much as we are yeah which is crazy so sad but yeah it's a crazy experience uh, I suppose I'll bring it kind of towards your more writing and directing um what have you kind of like as i'm not i'm not trying to say like what's your process because i've already (laughs) said that but like something along the lines of that where it's like how like how do you kind of like begin to like write your own stories or even help another writer because you have helped other writers in the past with their own kind of writing techniques how do you kind of like i suppose start that you know how do you kind of like getting it get into that it's all about visualization as well like, yeah um, i know i really love a script and want to come on and direct it if i can see it clearly when i'm reading it like on yeah. page, i can see it in my my, my head and um, so i kind of break that down with a lot of directors who want my kind of advice when i'm doing script editing for them 
um, what like different options. So normally I'd give them a PDF back of all the notes. I break down every single line, every single uh, yep. description, or anything. Um, and we just see what different options we have to make it work. What feels real? Like I feel like some newer writers, newer directors, they want to add so much in. But if you just pair everything back, sometimes sometimes you don't even have to make an actor say the words. They can tell it all just yeah. by their face or just by their eyes. Um, I feel like as an actor as well myself, I hate if I'm given just too much to do, too many things to think at one time. Like let yeah. me have the process and let it feel more real and natural. Because even when I went to Bow Street, the first rule. Um, that Shimmy, our amazing artistic director, will always say the first rule of acting is stop acting. Yeah. So finding your truth in what you're saying. So the great thing about being an actor and then also being a writer director is that I can relate to that and I can bring that to the table. So yeah. a lot of the writers and directors then would have my kind of two cents in of both sides of it. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that really helps. As well. Yeah. And like, I suppose it's like, I'd say it's hard to find a strike a balance though because you're juggling so much stuff at the same time like how would you kind of like i suppose when like because i've seen you direct and direct and act as well in the same in like shorts as well like how do you kind of like like how do you not burst into flames <laughs> that's basically what i'm trying to say but you know um, what i mean like oh gosh it's gonna sound so unhealthy red bull and no sleep <laughs> so I get through it yeah. um i feel like i because we you know we create these amazing relationships yeah. everyone on set that I think that's really what gets me through is yeah. the relationships that we have like me and you being amazing friends and so many other people that we work with and I think that kind of helps like being close with your crew having mm. people to depend on having that trust there yeah. that you can each get the job done that mm. takes so much like of the stress off yeah, you yeah. don't worry about that you can focus on the story you're not worrying about like a million things going on yeah 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 no that's fair like it's just yeah like I've never had to kind of juggle two jobs at once on set I'm always just like every time I'm on set I'm always like either the boom operator like a sound trainee or even sound assistant sometimes sound recordist so like it's I, I never have to juggle so many things at the same time so I, I, I never really know what that's like so it's kind of interesting to kind of see how people kind of do that like because there's so there's so many writer directors and like even writer actors even uh director actors yeah. all that sort of stuff you know so yeah. it's hard it's I, I i always find it fascinating to kind of see like how they kind of manage that because there's just so much stuff there to just juggle you know it's insane yeah. um i suppose what 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 have you kind of like experience when you've directed because i know i've asked you about juggling like both things at the same time but what because like I, directing is like a whole different ball game when it comes to like writing and acting because you're kind of like managing the whole thing you need to make sure it's to not only your standard that you want but also if it's someone else's script to like you have to deliver yeah exactly so how do you kind of like manage that stressful yeah of course um but i kind of just put my everything into it like um yeah. beforehand i really get in with um my editors like in pre-production just kind of discussing things um with my composers i kind of work with all of my crew my ad is like my rock yeah um oh my god i'd be lost without quiva for the other <laughs> just kind of going through storyboards going through shot lists just making sure that everything that we could possibly need is there get everything because you can cut it out the edit oh, yeah. but just to have it um yeah just kind of breaking things down and making sure you can see it in your head and then kind of going for that on set and then yeah we kind of all lean on each other but i kind of 
I go by, I work so closely with my actors. We have yeah. so many meetings, so many discussions. I don't do a lot of rehearsals because I feel like that takes the freshness out of it. Yeah. But I really kind of just sit with them and go through their character, do a whole breakdown, make sure they're happy. Yeah. Um, because I always say, the first two things I say to actors on set, I want you to be happy because I want you to walk away uh, knowing you gave 110%, like you gave your all. Yeah. And then I want you to watch it and be like, I'm proud of what I did. Yeah. And that I left it all there. Yeah. And the audience is looking and they're like, they're thinking, this is, oh my God, I'm looking into someone's life instead of yeah. looking at a bunch yeah. of actors on the screen. Yeah. Um, so that's like a really big part of it, working so closely with your cast, with your crew, and then finding your way through it. Interesting, yeah. When it comes to your acting, I've, I know you've, um, you haven't just acted in Ireland. You've been in uh, productions in America and in productions in England. What are these set environments like? Are they totally different or is there similarities to them and that kind of stuff? Um, I think they're all very similar. Yeah. It's just different, you know, um, different etiquettes. Yeah. Yeah. Things. So I feel like Americans are, they're so crazy wild and amazing, uh, which is great. Irish people are like a bit quieter, more kind of reserved. And then people in the UK are pretty much, they're like a mixture of both. Yeah, kind of yeah. Seeing what kind of what's out there, um. But yeah, I'm loving the American scene, so I'm really trying to get more into that. Mm, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Coming this summer, which is exciting. Nice, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I always love the Irish. Like I always go back to your own yeah. roots and everything. Yeah, but yeah. But I tend to get called the American a lot <laughs> all the time <laughs> because of the accent. Because I just change it so easily. Like I'm not doing it now. Do not ask me. <laughs> but um, I find sometimes when I'm doing my professional voice, I swap into. The American yeah. So I feel like I don't know when I went to LA in November, I kind of it felt like home, and I was like, oh okay, yeah, this is weird. I need to move. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's the process at the moment, but um, yeah, it's it's a bit mad. Cool. Kind of Speaking of America, you are moving to New York soon. Oh God, yes, I am indeed. The Big Apple. Yeah, yeah. Never sleeps. Oh yeah, yeah. That'll be it'll be exciting. Um, we're leaving just after my birthday, so I turned the big old twenty four before I go. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm studying in the New York Conservatory for Dramatic Arts, so that'll be amazing. Crazy. Yeah, yeah. Crazy exciting. Um, I'm going to have an amazing, like uh, loads of amazing coaches, but one of them, um, Jay Goldenberg, he literally was just in Vanity Fair talking about his acting kind of that's yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, oh my God. Pressure, pressure is on. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, no, it's really, really exciting. I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be a whole new experience. Um, yeah yeah God, I'm so nervous. <laughs> yeah, it'll be fun it'll be fun um i'm excited to see how different it is from you know uh training over here yeah what the kind of what am i gonna expect <laughs> every day but yeah it'll be it'll be good interesting as like a multi-talented creative like yourself you've like everyone else in this industry have received a lot of rejection in terms of like getting projects off the ground yeah. getting roles all that sort of stuff how do you deal with rejection the moment I, what really helps, I feel, um, and I've heard it from a lot of actors I look up to, so the moment I leave an audition room or the moment I send a self-tape off, I hmm. forget about it. I delete it off my phone. I yeah. don't look at it. I don't think about it. And then when you get the email then, if you didn't get it, it helps a little bit. Like, obviously, it's, it stings. It's yeah, sore. yeah. But you have to learn to let go. I feel like the, yeah. the more you do that and you don't hold on to things, the easier it'll get because this industry, as an actor... 95% of the time you're going to be told no yeah yeah um, so you have to learn to just not care and then like my process even going into an audition is not have the thought of like oh it's my job like I have it but go in with like 
yeah, like it it could be me. Like cast yeah. directors, they want to help you. They want you to be that person. Yeah. They want to find the next big thing. They want to give you the job. They really want to do everything they can to give it to you. That's why they do so many breakdowns with you, and they can be so lovely. Like obviously, it's very intimidating. But yeah, yeah. You just have to go in with it and just know if you don't get it, it's okay. There'll be more roles. Yeah, exactly. It's not yeah. The, the world, but yeah, it always stings. Yeah, like it's the same with me yeah. when it comes to like crew jobs, you know. Like I, um, there's been loads of times where I'll apply for something and then be like, oh, like we, uh, it's either they've already got someone or they don't take my qualifications to what they want in the for their production and like it, like it hurts. It, it genuinely does, but at the same time, like you kind of need to have that like thick skin or like stiff upper stiff upper lip and just oh, yeah, skin oh, yeah, yeah. Especially as an actor, um, it's not just like it gets very personal sometimes where you're like what is it am i too big am i too small am i too yeah. fat too skinny too tall too short too ugly too whatever um and you have to be able to let that go like you have to remember that if you didn't get the role it's not because you've done a bad job yeah you've yeah. done an amazing job always feel like you've done a great one it's not that it's just they have a vision in mind and i yeah. know that from being a director and casting things and yeah. being a producer and all that kind of stuff when you have a vision it's not that the other actors weren't good and i that's why i always um, I always email back and I respond to every single person that sends in a casting uh, for the ones that I'm doing yeah. to let them know that they didn't get it because it's horrible as an actor yeah, yeah. and you're waiting and waiting and you don't hear anything back and then you see it on telly and you're like, yeah, oh, okay, yeah. didn't, definitely didn't get that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so just kind of knowing that sometimes you won't hear back but if you didn't do anything wrong, it's just there's a vision in their mind and that they just have to go with that. Yeah. Sometimes it's out of the casting director's hands and it's the producer that has it or they want a bigger name, whatever, but just know it, it'll happen for you. You just yeah, have to have exactly. that faith there. And then yeah, yeah. Just All like, yeah, just just keep chipping away at it, like, do you yeah. know? Yeah, because, like, it's the same with me. Like, when I, st- even when I started out, um, like, I, there was a lot of unpaid gigs I had to do. There's, yeah. like, and even at that, like, there, there'd be weeks on end where I wouldn't have any work and, like, I'd just be sitting at home, you know? And it's that kind of thing where you deal with uh, a combination of anxiety, even imposter syndrome to a certain yeah. extent, and, like, just feeling like you're not worth anything yeah. is, like, that's what happens sometimes, you know? And, like, it just comes. It just gets to a point for me personally. I just kind of like. I just pick myself up and I'm yeah. like, "Fuck this! I can't just stay here. I'm just gonna either work on my own stuff, like just create my own things, like make like a little portfolio, like a show reel or something like that, yeah. just to even pass the time." And I then you never say, know. Yeah. I always yeah. say that to actors as well that when they're worrying about their show reel and like get emails sometimes and they're like, "Oh, I don't have like this that whatever." Doesn't matter. Yeah. Film a self tape at home. Uh, get a reader. Yeah. Find um a scene you really love or write your own. Yeah. Um, there's no right or wrong answer. There's no right or wrong acting. Do that. Send that in, and that can mean so much more than finding something online or like having to have this perfectly shot, beautiful thing. Most of the time, self tapes now they ask you. You just shoot on your phone. Like I haven't u- used a camera to properly film my self tapes in a very long time. Yeah, it's yeah. Just on your phone. Like everything has changed nowadays. Um, yeah. Self tapes are the new way. It's not super common where you go into an audition room anymore and because mm. the pandemic it's just easier now that, and yeah it's yeah easier. also as an actor that you can go you can be anywhere in the world and you can send a self-tape in yeah um, you can send them to anywhere in the world you don't have to go in like it, it helps it opens up so many more doors for you yeah yes yeah. like obviously it's great to be there in the room you see the casting director and you be able to get you know in person notes and stuff but it yeah. also takes off some pressure of like sometimes you go in you panic and you're like oh god i need to impress them but then you do it at home and you're like it's okay. I can breathe. I can do it again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. 
yeah like it definitely like i could see that definitely being like better just because like like i've i've worked as casting assistants before as a casting assistant before so like i know the kind of like like when you walk out from that room you can see a big line of actors and like they're they're all trying to memorize their lines like trying to like yeah. be the best that they can be so like i can understand to a certain extent how stressful that could be you know so and it's scary you're in the room and you're like everyone's going for the same role i am and yeah this yeah person's gonna be better than me you can't, <laughs> you can't go like you have to think i'm it's gonna be me it's yeah yeah you need to have that self-confidence self-belief and yeah yeah i get you even though most of the time we all fake it like it's not real at all. <laughs> no we hate that we don't love ourselves like the way we pretend we do but we do of yeah. course we do yeah. of course yeah yeah <laughs> we move we move yeah, of course we do yeah confidence is key <laughs> yeah. make it till you make it all that lovely stuff yeah yeah. Is there any upcoming projects Maybe. that are coming? <laughs> Maybe. Oh, are you, are you not allowed? No, no. I don't think I can. We okay. posted a photo of a table read recently. Interesting. That's, that's okay. Keep your eyes on social media. Is all it yeah. Look yeah. forward to the end of the year. Yeah. But, Interesting. Yeah, exciting stuff. Exciting. Um, a few different projects in post production as well, but then yeah. On the yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, you know, it's, um, it's going to be. I don't even know what we're talking about. <laughs> just, it's gonna, sorry. No, it's gonna be yeah, it's gonna be an interesting year because like we have a few projects coming up and I'm looking forward to working on them. Um, we also have a few projects in uh, post production, so looking forward for that. 2023 will be a very interesting. Yeah, year. it'll be That's very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Also, before we end this episode, I'm very sorry about the audio quality. We're in the middle of a parking lot at the moment. Well, that yeah. sounded very American, but yeah, we're in the middle of a parking lot. You and, uh, into me with yeah, I know. I am hurt. Yeah, oh you're a bad influence. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> but uh, I'm the best <laughs> yeah, but uh, we're in. Like you see, like we're in a caravan and there's just cars driving by, and we are in the sticks. So yeah, it's apologies in advance. Um, but yeah, it was lovely chatting with you, Sinead. Thank you. It's always lovely, Mark. Yeah, I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye, guys. <laughs>